of Film Spill, a movie night podcast with today, Chelsea, Jackie, and our special guest, Jordan. We are a movie podcast. Our focus is on female filmmakers every week. So we discuss women in entertainment. Yeah, and we also play (laughs) other um, little movie night slumber party type games or activities just to keep it fun and fresh. But yeah, our special guest this week, as Chelsea mentioned, is Jordan Pfeiffer. She is the founder of Onyx Films, and she is a director as well. So Jordan, if you wouldn't mind introducing yourself to the people, if they don't already know, which they probably do. (laughs) I'm Jordan. Um, Let's see. I did found Onyx Films in March of 2020 uh, at the start of the pandemic. So it's been going on for a little over a year. And um, I met Chelsea through Onyx because Chelsea was interested in joining. And then Jackie, we met in film school in (laughs) the first, I think the first class we had, or the only class we had together was childhood in foreign cinema, which was a very specific class where we got to watch like foreign films that pertain to childhood. And so that was really interesting. Let's see. I do direct, directed, directed a lot, like 10, 15 films. Yeah. Have a couple more coming out soon. Yes. Busy girl over here. Yeah, very exciting. Always on the move. Jordan's always got something up her sleeve. So it's always exciting to hear from her. Oh, thank you. What got me into film? (laughs) Yeah, like how do you do, um, you know, discover your passion for filmmaking? So the story I tell is that I kind of grew up in like a quote unquote movie family. And by that, I don't mean like my parents are in the industry. They're not. My dad is a doctor and my mom is a real estate agent. But um, we, they, they both have a huge passion for movies. And every weekend we'd watch a movie. Either we'd go like to the movie theater or we'd watch one at home. And <laughs> they kind of showed me, they showed me pretty like adult film, not, yeah, adult films. <laughs> Rated R. <laughs> Rated R. <Yeah>. PG-13. <laughs> Yeah, like I saw I saw like rated R films from a very young age, like 11, 12. And I remember like the most intense one I saw at a young age was A Clockwork Orange, Stanley Kubrick film. For those of you who don't know A Clockwork Orange, there's a lot of like, you know, a lot of just like violence and like sexual assault and that kind of stuff in it. So I actually saw that when I'm going on a tangent, but I saw that when I was like, 10 or 11 and I was a very religious kid growing up I was like very Christian and I (laughs) I remember going to Bible study the next day and I was like crying because I was like I felt guilty watching that and like (laughs) then they all prayed for me (laughs) oh my goodness but yeah I was exposed to a lot of 
movies from a very young age. And I feel like that kind of broadened my spectrum of like what kind of movies are out there faster than like regular kids, you know, would because they'd be watching like Mm -hmm. things more catered to their age. But I kind of just found a love for love for movies very early on. Awesome. That's awesome. Yeah, I was going to ask why you decided to start Onyx. Yes. So let's see. The the name kind of came to my mind, the actual, the name for Onyx, when I was developing, kind of like I, I wanted to do like either an all-female like art collective or an all-female just like creative group. But then I was entering my, I think I came up with it when I was entering like my junior year of college maybe like second semester junior year. And I was just surrounded by all these really amazing female filmmakers in my class. And they were all just like badass. And they they were who I knew I wanted to work with, like in the future, you know, like, I obviously connected with some of the guys too. But especially the women, I was like, damn, like, there are some really amazing women in our class at LMU. So I decided instead of doing like an art collective, like more generally to do more specifically like a production company that was female-led, female-centric, and that made more films with female protagonists because I also felt like there weren't a lot of films with female protagonists. And if they were, there were just like a few of them. And where do you see Onyx in the next five years? Ooh, good (laughs) question. Because I know Onyx has been rapidly growing within, you know, the year and a half. Yeah, I mean, I have really high hopes for Onyx. I think it's like a very unique company. And also we have like 60 plus women in it right now, which is so cool. It's really, really growing. I hope that we can get to a point in five years that we are able to have like more money circulating within it to fund our films because right now everything comes out of pocket for all of our films and I hope that we are able to reach like a really big audience and that eventually I don't know if it would happen within five years I hope so eventually we'd be able to pay everyone and I even want it to be people's sole like jobs and sole income i i don't i have huge huge dreams for it but um i think that that will happen with time and with us making more and more content i would love to be like a full-time onyx lady that'd be so fun but yeah kudos to you jordan for just taking the initiative and being like this is what i want to do let me make it happen that's just so amazing and i'm so grateful that you did that because now i get to be a part of it Oh, Jackie, thank you so much. That means so much to me because I feel like I work really hard on on this and I really, really want it to go somewhere. So that means a lot. And you're you're awesome. Chelsea, you're awesome too. I'm so glad you're <laughs> <Thank you>. <laughs> Yeah, I'm so happy that I found Onyx. Uh, I know I was talking about it last week, how I stumbled upon like finding the company and it was, you know, all through LinkedIn. So if I wouldn't have found Anastasia posting a video about one of your short films and I would have never known about the company and I, this wouldn't have been happening, you know? So it's definitely everything happens for a reason. 
And I'm yeah. glad that I was able to find this company that I can find other female filmmakers who have this drive and motivation because it's hard. It's hard to find, you know, a group of people that you want to work with and who want to work yeah. with you. Absolutely. You know, having that balance. Yeah, I agree. I agree. And especially like when we're in a group of, you know, like our you're in a crew and there's like, a large amount of men I feel like the women are, are sort of um, just overlooked and not really respected on the same level at least that's been my experience like you're not one of the boys so you're not really like up in the banter or you're not really like connecting with them as much in in this work environment I think and and when there's just a group of women that are making films, it's just, it's different. It's very communicative. It's like, we all are going through the same thing in the industry. So we're all just connecting, you know? And I think it's really special. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because it's true. It's still very male dominated. You know, it's like, you know, you got to be part of the, the man, like the men's group or whatever the case may be. And and I've seen that in departments like camera department, gaffer, um and well g and e (laughs) those departments like you don't see females very often at all um so why why is that the case is it because people don't want to mentor females in those departments because it's all about someone really bringing you in right that's how you start building up your connections and that's how you like you know build your way up i think it's the case because especially in those departments camera electrical and like g and e yeah I think it's more physical. I think holding a camera and that kind of stuff, it's its very physical and having to rig a lighting setup. So I think that women aren't really seen as people's first choice sometimes because they're, I guess, biologically not as, not as built as men are. But the I know some amazing female DPs and gaffers that get it done way better than the average man would so shout out to um Emma Forthover killing it as a DP she her back is like dead right now from all of her camera setups that she has to do like she will just have a big camera on her and have to like carry it around you know all day for 12 hour days and she does it flawlessly and then um Kasusha Jenenfeld, she is amazing. She's a like a professional DP and she's an Onyx. And then um, Emily Phillips, she's an incredible gaffer. Her height does help. Yes, she's 5'11". So I mean, that does help her um, like do the lighting setups and all that. But it's also just talent, skill, all of that, you know. So I mean, I think women can do it you know this is good and and even better than men can but I do think it's it's the physical thing yeah and I think too like I don't know if you guys have had this experience but like I remember in film school I had a lot of like female friends who started off as production majors and then decided to go into screenwriting or film studies or something less like production focused and I think it's kind of a chicken or the egg situation where it's like, is it because women like are not encouraged or like because it is kind of a boys club and so like they don't see women on set and they're like, oh, like, I don't want to have to deal with like a basically all male crew most of the time. Mm -hmm. Or is it like 
the mentorship thing or the fact that women aren't encouraged to go into those lanes like yeah it's i think it's a confluence of stuff that's um, a, that's a great point yeah I, th I think it totally is um multiple things but I do think you brought up a, a great point about how like they're not seeing women really a whole lot of them in that space so it can kind of discourage them yeah because women do take a lot of the production roles there's so many female producers but you don't really see female directors female directors are some of my favorite directors like I, I think they're so different from men in the way that they're more it's just more visceral to me, the films that they make. Yeah, and that brings up a great point to this week's film. Just the emotion behind it, but we'll definitely get into that. I'm like so excited to talk about it. This is my first time watching it. So the movie this week that we will be talking about is A Portrait of a Lady on Fire. Absolutely, and it's one of my favorite films that I've seen this year. It is... It's beautiful. Like, it is so beautiful. So I was so excited yeah. to talk about it with you guys. It's a big inspiration. And Celine Sciamma is a big inspiration to me. Jordan is super into astrology and she can tell us more. But we gave her our information for our birth charts. And she is going to reveal them to us and see if this is written <laughs> in the stars all along. So Yeah, I'm so excited to analyze your birth charts. Um, I took a lot of notes last night when I was reading them. But yeah, a little background. I'm very into astrology, just so that doesn't come out of nowhere. Uh, I'm very into like witchcraft and like... Oh my god, me too! <laughs> I thought I was the only one! Wait, thought, do you no. do candle magic? <laughs> I've done candle magic. <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> yeah, I feel like a lot of my films have to do with like um, witchcraft and stuff too. But I do believe in like kind of like the, the planets having an impact on our lives. And I even think like if it all is BS, it's, it's just very convenient. So we'll see when I analyze your charts. But um, let's see. Do you want to do Chelsea or Jackie first? Whichever. Go for it. Okay. So I've got Chelsea's birth chart up here. In astrology, there's um, this thing called like the big three. It's your sun, your moon, and your rising. And these are sort of like the, the three planets that have a lot to do with your core personality. But there is also your... Mercury, Venus, and Mars that have a lot to do with you. But then it's not even just the sign that these planets are in. It's also the houses that they're in. So there are 12 houses and, e and each sign is in a house. And each house rules an area of life. So for example, like the seventh house is the house of relationships. So if you had a planet in that house then that planet, whatever that planet rules, emotion, drive, your romantic life, that area in particular would be the one that is most like impactful to you or is most like important, you know, in that category. So I'll just kind of dive into it. Chelsea is an Aquarius sun. She is a Libra moon 
and she has a cancer rising. That's her big three. It's really cool. I also have a Libra moon, so I know how that feels. (laughs) (laughs) That's my emotional side, isn't it? (laughs) Yeah, yeah, it is. And so um, just in general, looking at your big three here, you're, you have two air signs in your big three. You have Aquarius and Libra. And that kind of means that communication, talking, thinking, you're very, very like airy person over here, which is, it's very talkative. It's communication is so important. And I'll get more into that because communication is important in a lot of other areas of your birth chart. I'll start out with your sun. You have an Aquarius sun in the seventh house. So Aquarius is really prioritize advancement and progress, especially societal and social progress with the world. So they really get frustrated when like technology doesn't work and they're like, like, wouldn't we have better technology by now? And they're like um, frustrated with like humanitarian type situations, like um, social unrest, social justice is really important to them. Just the whole like atmosphere of society is extremely, extremely important to them. The second part of an Aquarius, I would say that's kind of the main thing, humanitarianism. The second part with Aquarius is is that they're very unique and different. They're the most, they're the most, they're the sign that really like values being different. Like if someone tries to put them in a box and say like, oh, you're like this or whatever, they'll literally fight you. Like they hate to be put in boxes and that kind of thing. Chelsea's naughty. I do. I I do. I don't like people telling me what to do (laughs) or like, I just do what I want to do at the end of the day. Yeah. They're probably the, um the sign that hates being told what to do the most (laughs) yeah I think that's why I need to be my own boss oh yeah I hate being told what to do that's perfect for an Aquarius yeah so I wrote like different quirky and also kind of aloof like um sometimes they can be not extremely involved in emotional situations they'd kind of maybe step back and watch from a distance. They don't, they don't really like want to like dive into your emotions and. Yeah. Like I will definitely listen. I'm that type of person that I'll listen to whatever you have to say, but I'm also awkward. So I don't (laughs) know what to say. (laughs) So I'm like, okay. You know, like I, I won't get like emotionally impacted unless it's really sad. When it's really, when it does get me, like I do tear up, I do cry. Like people say it's, people say Aquarius is like the least emotional sign on the zodiac, but I mean, a lot of different things in your birth chart can make you emotional, which I have everything laid out, you know? So that's just Aquarius sign. That's just a part of you. So then we look at, oh, also one other thing, um, air signs in general, Aquarius, Libra, and um, Gemini, they're just known to be very like clever, witty, and intellectual. Like they really value intellectual conversations and talking about them and thinking about them. And they always have sort of like a witty thing to say. So that's Aquarius. I do have some quirky things to say sometimes. (laughs) (laughs) I'm like, sometimes I'm like, I just need to shut up right now. There was a time I was talking with Jackie 
And I'm like, I'm sorry, Jackie. I'm all over the place today. <laughs> I love that though. No, I loved it too. We were just going for like, we're like, let's chat a little bit. And we're like there for two hours, which I maybe Jordan can that. get into, but yeah. I, I know. That. I just talk. I just like, I just keep talking <laughs> and talking. Aquarius mm. are one of my favorite signs. Um, I've dated a couple of them, which didn't go well for my Pisces son, but I really value that they, um, that they Uh-oh. like, it romantically no but I can be really good friends with the Aquariuses but mm-hmm. I, I, I value that they're so different and so like intellectual and they always have stuff to say so mm-hmm. now we go into the house that your son is in so your son is in the seventh house so my son is also in the seventh house so your son is like your your like core sort of identity it's just like overall your identity it's like yourself and your son is in the seventh house which is the house of relationships so it's very very important for you to have a partner like it's it's hard it's kind of hard for you to go through life without a partner and you identify within your relationships so the way you view yourself oftentimes has to do with your relationships like you feel, you feel more at peace with yourself when you're taking care of your relationships and if you have like a strong relationship. Mm-hmm. That's that- true. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I guess you can say like, I always try to keep my good relationships and like treasure mm-hmm. that. Yeah. Um, especially that, you know, you get to a point in your life where you just don't meet people like that very often. So yeah. when I do find a really good person in my life, I like keeping them in my life you know, I treasure that communication. I treasure that relationship that we have because it's, like I said, it's hard to find something that's good. Oh, absolutely. And that's very, like, very cool. I, in the same way, like, I don't really like being alone, but, you know, Aquariuses are the most, like, one of the most independent signs, Aries, I would say, too. But um, the fact that you're, that you have that seventh house means that you're not just like a lone wolf as much like you like to have a partner in life cool now we delve into your moon so you have a libra moon which i do too because we have some similarities here and you have a libra moon in your in a third your third house okay so libra scales is a sign you know scales is the symbol Libra is all about like balance, harmony, and like justice. For example, Libras would be good lawyers, that kind of thing. And your moon, which is your emotional self, is is in Libra. So your emotions, oh, and Libra is all about relationships too. So you have some, a lot of like things about relationships in your chart. So, and again, Libra is another air sign. So you have a lot of air. So your emotions are very dependent on your relationships. For us with our, our moon in Libra, we really do, like if, if someone in our life is upset or upset at us or viewing us negatively, it'll make us very upset. And we really do care and value our relationships more than the average person would. Our emotions are dependent on our relationships and a big thing about a Libra moon is that you have an emotional desire for harmony. 
so like like the scales of Libra, you want them to be balanced. You want everything to be harmonious in your life. So in order to make things harmonious, you will concede often. Like you'll give in and you'll um, maybe concede more than the person that you're arguing with or you're not feeling good about or that kind of thing. Like concede as to just give in to the argument and be like, all right, you win. You will maybe more than the other person to try and make it harmonious. Yeah, I'm probably with my girlfriend. <laughs> like whatever you win. Yeah, <laughs> take, yeah, yeah. take the win. <laughs> yeah. So you just want that harmony. Yeah. Um, and they're very social too. Cause you know, your emotions is in an air sign. And so you're you're probably a very social person, which I already know you are. <laughs> when I wanna be. I have yeah. my days where I'm like I don't want to talk to anyone. I don't want to be surrounded by anyone. Agreed. Same. Your moon is in the third house. And then, wow, surprise, surprise. Third house is the house of communication. Again, with the communication, you have it all over your chart. So that means like with Libra already being an air sign and a charming air sign, you're very good at communication and, and charming people and, and making friends and just like, very good with speaking to people and you care a lot about making others happy but it also says that you may be a little judgmental um in your life <laughs> just a little maybe sometimes, sometimes yeah I mean like I, I mean I social media it's so hard yeah it, it's not like me being judgmental as to say people's success but you know you are a little envious Oh, totally. That like you want to be there or like you yeah. want that for yourself. So yeah. like I do have my moments where I'm like, damn, I want that house. <laughs> I'm like, damn, yeah. that car. Yeah. So yeah. like, yeah, uh, yeah. And I'm okay. like, I don't know how you have it, but I don't have it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Then we move on to your rising. So you have a cancer rising. So your rising is sort of how you appear to others, how you come across it's sort of like when people first meet you, it's sort of like, so that would be like the sign that people who first meet you would think you are, you know, until they get to know you. That's just how you come across. So you have cancer rising and cancers are sort of like the moms of the Zodiac. They're very warm and friendly and loving and want to take care of people and they're the most emotional sign. So you come across as like warm and approachable, but you also need security because crabs, um, crabs have a shell. Crabs, crabs need a home. They, they prefer to be secure. That exoskeleton going on. Exoskeleton. Um, I, I guess, yeah, security in like, you know, I want to have a secure job. I want to have a secure home. Eventually, like I want to have something for my own, you know, like it's things that I crave. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And mm -hmm. so that's your big three in your chart. So those are the most important things. I, I wasn't going to go into the rest too intensely just because there's like a lot, but um, I, jotted, I jotted down a few notes. Your Mercury is in Capricorn. So your Mercury is like your communication, how you communicate. So Capricorn is like very practical. So you really value like practical uses for information. They're an earth sign. So it's just very straightforward, I'd say. Mm -hmm. And then your Venus is in Capricorn. 
So Venus is how you are in romantic relationships. And so for you, you want, you want partners to be attracted to your like competency and intelligence and success, that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. And then true <laughs> <laughs> and then your mars is in libra mars is your drive in life more air you have so much air the most air i've ever seen in a chart so it's just communication like you communicate well and that's how you maybe will kind of get places in life just your really good communication and your ability to interact with people well you're a very good people person well, that's good to hear. And that's it. That's um, your wow, that was intense. I learned a lot. <laughs> like, you know, a lot of things were explained. Very Communication cool. is key. But I've learned from a young age, like my mom is a Pisces too. <gasps> and she pushed me, I know, right? She pushed me a lot to take advantage of any opportunity that I got and yeah. to talk. To that's always awesome. talk. And that's what's helped me, I guess, now when I'm trying to network and I'm trying to talk to people is that I try to take advantage of any opportunity that I get. Now, Jackie, you ready? Now, Jackie. Oh, my, gosh, oh my God. I'm, I'm excited nervous, to hear Jackie. at the same time. Jackie is really cool. So you have a Sagittarius sun, as you probably know. <laughs> and your yeah. sun is in your first house. So... The thing about Sagittarius suns is they are just very like they're they're kind of an easy sign to talk about because they're just pretty straightforward. They're very like they're very into freedom. Freedom's so important to them. Having fun. They're very like optimistic about you know different things. Like they they kind of see the sunny side of life a little more um they're adventurous adventurous is probably the first word i'd use to describe a sagittarius like they they want to kind of try everything and do everything and they're also a little rebellious and your sagittarius sun is in your first house so it's really cool when you see suns in your first house because your the first house is like yourself your identity so when you see kind of the sun which is your overall identity and the house of like identity and image that means that you identify strongly with the image that you present to others you could be kind of self-conscious because of that um but you also present a very strong image you to others like you have a very particular image that you put out and you're very aware of that image Hmm. Okay. Yeah. I mean, like, I really just knew the like, adventurous freedom, whatever. And like, yeah. I see that on some level. And I guess like, yeah. I don't want to be I don't want to feel stuck, I think yeah. is my main thing. Yeah, like, I don't want to feel like I can only do one thing or I have to just do one thing, I guess, in my life. Like, I want to be open to new experiences. And that's Sagittarius. Um, so I guess but like, the image, the self-conscious thing is definitely accurate, um, but I <laughs> yeah. don't know about the image. Like, I want to put my good energy out there, but yeah. I don't know. Yeah, I think that the self-consciousness kind of just goes hand in hand with the image. Like, you're self, maybe self-conscious because you are worried about how, like, others perceive you or it's important to you, like, how others perceive you. Maybe you're not even That's fully true. aware of that. 
Yeah. 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 No, definitely. Yeah. Okay. My favorite part. I wrote so much about this. You have a moon in Scorpio. So Scorpio is just a very like intense sign. It's like, so when your emotional self, which is your moon is in such a like intense sign. It's so interesting. Um, Also, just to keep in mind, Scorpio is a water sign and water, water, like, which is Scorpio, Pisces, Cancer. They're very emotional. So we have your emotional state in a water sign, um, which is emotion, emotion. Okay. So Scorpio moons, emotional intensity. Um, They can see kind of right into the core of a person, like, facades and all that 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 uh, that doesn't like that doesn't throw them at all like they can see if someone's putting on kind of a fake image or a facade they're just like that's bullshit they're like a bullshit detector basically (laughs) they can like just see right into the the true the true core of a person um they they may dislike small talk they're kind of more about kind of more serious things that are going on and they prefer to to have you know more heavy conversations and get right to the core of a person again they also may have a very powerful emotionally intense life that's another thing with the Scorpio if they don't have a naturally emotionally intense life they may like seek out kind of emotional intensity and intense experiences and they kind of prefer all or nothing. Like they want, they want sort of all of someone or all of something or just nothing at all. Like they want, they want the the genuineness. Mm-hmm. And also, Scorpio, the sign, really cares about trust. They they may struggle with trusting people easily because the thing about Scorpios again is they can really suss suss things out and they don't want to they don't want to give their all to someone unless they're fully sure that they can trust them so that they do have a fear of like betrayal and a fear of someone you know yeah fucking you over yeah um and but when you're all in you're all in you're devoted and committed to someone and committed to whatever you're doing you're very loyal also they scorpio moons radiate strength they're very strong, strong sign. And another thing about Scorpios, especially in my experience with Scorpios, is they may hold grudges a little. Like if something affects them or if someone like kind of fucks them over, they're not going to easily forgive. So that's that. What do you think? Yeah, that's all really interesting. I mean, I think some of it definitely hit home. Like yeah. I think it bothers me when I feel like people aren't genuine, yeah. um, are being honest with me. So that makes sense. And yeah, I think, honestly, I think I am overwhelmed emotionally a lot just by like situations. And so I don't think I seek out emotional highs. I think like, I'm like, we're already. Yeah, like you would feel emotion intensely. Yeah, like I cry very easily. Oh, totally. Um, yeah cool I love I think Scorpio moons are so cool like there's there's kind of a lot to unpack there they have a lot of layers to them and then 
Now we look at your moon in your 11th house. So your 11th house is the house of friends and social circles. So it's not just like relationships or whatever. It's like social circles. Like it could be like coworkers. It could be like groups you're in, um, that kind of thing. So you're emotionally sort of, your emotions lie within kind of needing to belong. Like you have a strong sense of needing to belong somewhere. You're a friendly person. You work well in collaboration with others. You'd rather work in collaboration with others than solo. You need to feel like you belong and you need support from the social groups that you're in. Like you really, you would prefer to have like a group that supports you. Like in Midsummer when she ends up with the, um, <laughs> with the, with the cult and like is super happy and feels like she belongs. That's kind of an example of that. Um, so I'm going to join a cult is what you Yeah, <laughs> maybe, who knows? Um, also... Uh, another like detail that was in this page I was looking at, you may have many members of the opposite sex close to you. That's just something um, that it said in there. Like you may like especially get along with the opposite sex. And also you might marry within your social groups. Like whoever you're with or your partner or whatever is probably in your like one of your social groups, whether it be your, like a friend group or like a um, a work group or that kind of thing. But overall, you just feel a need to belong. That's like the kind of yeah. thing. That really hits as well. Yeah, I mean, definitely like, yeah, that's, I'll just say that that's accurate. And yeah. then, uh, I like to collaborate with people too. Yeah. Um, and I work best in collaboration. I think needing a community and like groups and stuff, that's, I can relate to that too. Like, I always feel better when I'm with a group of like-minded people. Okay, cool. And then you have a Sagittarius rising. So you have your Sagittarius sun and your Sagittarius rising. And rising is sort of how you come across. So it's just like kind of an enthusiasm and op optimistic. You come across that way. And you like having life experiences. You're just very into like um, trying different things, which is pretty straightforward. I think Sagittariuses are just, they're, they're fun. They like adventure. Thank you. Yeah, I think um, in terms of the like way I come across like the optimistic thing, I think people are like, I've had people ask me like, why are you smiling? Or like, what are you so happy about? And like, I'm like, I don't even realize what I'm doing. I'm just like, happy to be here, you know? Yes, and I love that. It's just like positive energy. And um, just to recap, just to um, go through quickly some of your other signs, you have a Mercury in Sagittarius, so you have a lot of Sagittarius in your chart. Oh, wow. <laughs> Mercury's your communication, so you communicate like a Sagittarius, like you communicate very like fun, kind of maybe more playful pattern of speech. You might like to joke around. You have a Venus in Capricorn, which is what Chelsea had. So that means, again, that like you like your partner to see you as competent and as successful mm -hmm. and you care about kind of being a certain way for your partner, which is competent, good, solid person to rely on. And then you both have Mars and Libra, which is, oh. which is your drive in life. Mars and Libra is really good because you guys don't make rash decisions. You, you think about them you you weigh the options scales, well, scales. <laughs> and you just um 
or maybe more of like a communicative kind of justice oriented person so yeah that's your word chart Jackie thank you yeah very (laughs) insightful lots to think about so with all that said let's get on to portrait of a lady on fire so I want to mention off the top that there will be spoilers for the movie of course we're gonna be talking about it and it's available to watch on Hulu if you want to go watch it and then come back that's totally chill also a quick content warning that because there are brief but not graphic mentions of suicide and abortion in the film there will probably also be some in our discussion so if that's not something that you're cool with hearing right now it's all good and you can come back next week we'll talk about a totally different film jordan why did you specifically want us to watch this film okay there's a lot of things but um right now i'm writing my first feature that i'm going to direct next year and it's i'm kind of taking a lot from portrait not like the entire thing like different parts of it like the atmosphere and the way the women interact that kind of thing but yeah it it started because of me writing this feature and kind of drawing from it it's my biggest inspiration but also it's it's probably my favorite movie right now i think that Celine Sciamma is kind of genius. I think that this is like her, I think this is her magnum opus because she's made like a few other movies before this, but this one is, there's so much thought and detail put into it. It is insane. I have a lot to say about it. I, I just respect it so much. I think it's, it's such a contained movie. You know, it's in, it's in one house, mostly. It's just, it's like, it's like a simple concept, but it's so beautiful. Everything about it is beautiful and heart-wrenching and just, I don't know, I'm rambling. No, that's great. I'm glad that you have a lot to say about it. The whole time I was like, this scene is taking my breath away. This scene is taking my breath away. Like, just how beautiful it is, the language, their dynamic, the attention to detail. It's so lovely. So this film set in France in the 18th century. Marianne is a painter who is commissioned to do a wedding portrait for Eloise, a young woman who just left the convent. So um, Eloise is said to be a bride and uh, Marianne is doing this painting that she has no idea about. And she observes her by day and paints her secretly at night. So they hire Marianne to paint Eloise at her house. And she's a young woman who is ready to be married off, but Eloise does not want to be married off. She's a very defiant woman who does not want to be married off to a man, especially a man she doesn't even know. But you know, that's kind of custom in that time period. Um, Mm -hmm. And then Marianne is a artist and the film opens up with her like teaching art she she ends up being an art teacher and that's how the painting gets brought up because one of her students found this painting that she painted of Eloise but she it kind of triggers all these memories for her so she's hot she's hired to paint Eloise who does not want to be painted so they tell Eloise that she's just like her caretaker during the day and like her companion yeah companion someone to be her friend because she's kind of struggling because a lot of big stuff just happened to her 
So that's why she has to observe her during the day. And then at night after she, Eloise goes to bed, she, Marianne just like tries to remember exactly like how her jawline is and the flicks of her eyebrows, like the hair and just like, it's like she has to examine her so closely. Yeah, and so Eloise's sister was, she, she was her older sister and she was the one who was set to be married. But then, and we don't really get the specifics behind it, but we kind of can gather that her sister also didn't want that. And so she died by suicide. And then Eloise was brought in as like a backup because it's like, well, we have to marry someone off to this dude. And it's like, I can totally understand why Eloise does not want to go for that. Especially now we see she's sort of attracted to women at some point in the movie. So that's probably right. Yeah, I mean, I guess we don't really know. We can talk about this later, but like, we don't really know the specific sexualities of the characters. And obviously, like, back then, there weren't the same labels that we have now. Are the characters lesbian? Are they bi? Are they pan? Like how, you know, how if they were alive today, how would they identify? And we can't really say for sure. I think that Celine did that on purpose. I think mm-hmm. that she didn't want it to be something that was taken as a problem to identify yourself, that it's just love, which is the first time that you really see that. Because I, I feel like there's so much emphasis put on showing gay people on screen now. It's like, oh, yeah, no, they're they're gay. And this is what they're dealing with, the coming out story. It's like, no, they're not coming out here. There is not a point where they're fighting because someone's backing out from their sexuality. You know what never, I mean? There's never in the dialogue, I am a lesbian. No, we just see mm-hmm. two yeah. women connect and have a romantic relationship that maybe mm-hmm. is unexpected for both of them. Yeah, Crazy. and they're never like found out. Like, which is a big thing because, like, I feel like a lot of, like, queer movies, the characters, like, somebody catches them, like, making out with someone or whatever. And then if they're kind of shamed for it or they have to go through this process of, oh, yeah, I'm actually gay or whatever. And, like, the film doesn't have that moment. And I think that's really powerful, too. And they're restricted by the time, obviously, the time period. But it's not ever, like, they're shamed for loving I, I think a movie that's similar to that that does that in the same way is call me by your name I don't know yeah. if you guys have seen it but yeah it's it's not just like it's sort of just like two men that maybe they don't know you know what their sexuality is it's not really it's addressed at the end because the older man is Jewish and he kind of decides to stick within his religious boundaries and marry like a woman but it's it's kind of gazy, you know, like how um, the lady on fire is. And when I say gaze, I mean G- <laughs> V-E, not G-A-Y-N. Both, um, both. <laughs> I watched a video essay on Portrait of Lady on Fire, and it was called, like, The Power of the Gaze. But then, like, the the person doing the video <laughs> essay was, like, making fun about how it's, like, it's not the G-A-Y-S, it's the G-A-Z-E, but it's both, kind of. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Because yeah. there's definitely a lot of gazing done and just that the, the eye content. But when you're watching it on screen, you're feeling it too. That's how powerful it was for me to like yeah. watch it. 
is that I was starting to get chills because I, I thought something was going to happen. I thought it was finally, they were finally going to make out. And then they do it when you mm-hmm. least expect it. Yeah. They finally go for each other and you're like, yes. It's <laughs> like palpable. And um, I think it's really cool because in film school, we learn a lot about like the male gaze and how sort of like men directing films and that kind of thing they have a particular gaze on especially women they sort of objectify them their bodies and maybe sexualize them more but I think Portrait Lady on Fire is so cool because it's all about the female gaze like we have this female Mm -hmm. director directing a film about two women kind of looking at each other it's all about looking it's about Mm -hmm. it's about the power of looking observing Mm -hmm. um taking in people yeah because they're not even touching each other you know it's like that one time where they finally have that little like hand slip but that's it that's like the only touching that they do before you know like hooking up for the first time yeah it's probably more intimate than touching the looking yeah which is crazy it's like really just having that moment with the person and really just taking in their who they are. There's a portion in the movie where they're telling each other what they admire about each other, what they've noticed about each other. And that's very important because that just goes to show it that they're really interested in one another and focusing on who that individual is. You know, loving everything about that other person. You know, falling Mm -hmm. in love with their details. They're sort of like each other's companions um for this period of time and and really all they're doing is maybe taking walks together out by the water and there's just so much intention behind this film um so Celine had mapped out literally everything that she was going to do in production before production and by that I don't mean the typical like typical producery things and director things you need to plan for no she got so in-depth. She got more in-depth than I think any director I've heard of has. So a lot of the film does not have score. I don't know if you guys notice this because I don't mm-hmm. ever really think about score. But a lot of the film does not have score. It's very quiet. And a big reason for that is she wanted to set the pacing through the action. She referred to um, time signatures. I don't know if either of you have played instruments. There's various time signatures and Mm -hmm. certain time signatures are meant to cause you to feel differently. Like maybe one will make you feel like things are harmonious and one will make you feel like kind of like disturbed or that kind of thing. She would set the, the steps that these characters would take to time signatures. Holy shit. To create like the pacing and what the audience is supposed to feel through this like she would be like take two extra steps or um maybe breathe two more times or that kind of thing and she had planned it all out before it was time to direct holy yeah. shit wow she really she put thought into like every little thing did. now speaking of every little thing let's talk about the cinematography Oh, in this God. film is amazing it literally looks like a painting and that's her attention she did want it to look like a painting and she did a great job by doing so yeah she did and it's so cool because it's like the protagonist is an artist and and she's supposed to be painting her portrait and so she wanted like every frame to be like a painting and to be visually pleasing because we're seeing this film is through the eyes of 
our painter artist protagonist so that's mm-hmm. kind of how she sees mm-hmm. the world and how she sees Eloise yeah and the colors I was just oh, taken yeah. back by the colors and like the the light like the softness and then also the jewel tones and the way they capture the sea and like just the way that she shows nature is really really gorgeous because they took advantage of every moment like there was a night silhouette when they're going to sing or going to that gathering and they're singing at this gathering even that yeah that like chorus take it takes a lot to actually do like accompaniment or what is it what what is it called it's like um, yeah it's you know what I mean? Because yeah. they're individual sections. You have your alto, you have your sopranos, and they're they're definitely selected out in order to make come like that piece, yes. come, like come to life, or it's, to even create the piece in general. You know, I love the whole yeah the whole color palette. It's so warm. It's exact. It's kind of like fire, you know, which is a big mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. a big theme in this movie. Yeah, so so there's beautiful. a lot of burning. She burns the frame. She burns the well. The dress gets burned. Mm-hmm. Exactly. That was like an intense part. Like that's because that made the film. That was what the film was. You know. Oh, I'm getting chills because that, that idea that, of it. That frame is. It's everything. That's the whole film summed up in a frame. Is when yeah, is on fire. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, that is so beautiful. I also wanted to say that I. I, I looked up, so Celine Sciamma, I looked up a lecture that she gave at, I think it was a college in like the UK and okay, just kind of off topic, but she had like a glass of wine with her while she was giving the lecture. So French. Iconic. Iconic. <laughs> white wine. Now I know she drinks white wine, which is my preference, but um, <laughs> she was saying at the lecture, she was talking about screenwriting. And she was saying that she has two, so how she writes is she has two lists. She has a list of things that she she really wants in, in the film, like for pleasure, for for beauty, for just little little images she had in her mind, little things she wanted that aren't necessary, but there are things she wanted to make the film what it is. Then things that are necessary in order for her to like tell the story. And so she would try and incorporate those, you know, as much as she could. But in the one, in that column that of things that she thought would be cool in the film, like more creative things, one of those was like two girls running to the, to the ocean. And, and we do see Mm -hmm. that in the, in the film. And then there's a few others that I can't remember right now, but I think that's such an interesting writing process. And then if, yeah, and if the things that are, quote-unquote necessary to the film like are just boring and not not in the list of things that she thinks would be beautiful and be add to the like the creativity of it she just would get rid of it but the film Mm. still works so yeah that's like super visual and I think that makes that comes across in the film of course but yeah like I think her as a writer director that's an interesting approach but it makes a lot of sense it's almost like a Pinterest board or something. I love That's it. kind of what I see when you say that. Yeah, like images, visuals of scenes that she thinks would be, you know, impactful visually, but also emotionally. 
I think when you put so much attention to detail and so much love and passion behind anything that you do, especially when you're filmmaking, it really shows in your final product. Absolutely. And that's what definitely showed here. It's that all of her attention to detail paid off. Because I don't think she could have done it any other way. I think this is like, this is perfect. It's so perfect. It's a perfect film. Like, I don't mm-hmm. think a lot of films are perfect, but this one is. It's so touching. Um, I got teary-eyed towards the end. Because you see all this love. It's like you feel bad. You just want them to be together. Exactly. You just feel bad for the circumstances. And even though we're still fighting mm-hmm. through these circumstances, it was especially difficult at that time period. Yeah, yeah. Time. And they obviously have a very special connection that we that is mm-hmm. so emphasized throughout the film. Yeah. It's special. It's it's something that maybe we wouldn't ever be able to experience in our lives. It's so special, so unique. Yeah, yeah and then yeah. at the end with page 28 in the portrait. Oh my God, I know. And she's already with like a daughter because obviously she got married off. She had her kid. And, yeah. and remember when they were talking about not wanting kids, right? Yeah. That was like part mm-hmm. of the, like, the discussion. So it was probably like she didn't want this like life. And she's yeah. like reassuring that I'm still thinking of you even though I'm in this mm-hmm. life. And it's interesting. You know? it's like a comment on how sometimes life doesn't go the way that we would want it to go and that's just how it is sometimes but Mm -hmm. we want them to to want their life and to want want these specific things and for those things to happen and that's creates some tension you know we it's like the audience desires this thing that's not happening and that's what makes it yeah so yeah so memorable yeah it's when you want the when you have the audience wanting more because yeah. you have that suspense towards the end where it's Eloise and she's crying yeah. and so Marianne states that she didn't look at me and then you see like a frame of just Eloise looking just straight on and you're like turn around turn around <laughs> oh the that the frame where yes. she's facing forward and we're just kind of seeing her from behind yeah and you're seeing her emotions change because you're she's obviously thinking of her. Yeah. And you're like, she's right there. Yes, yes. That one is so crazy. <sighs> yeah. No, a I, lot I, of emotions I, went towards the end of this film. A lot. <laughs> Rage, anger, disappointing. So <laughs> much. I cried a lot. I also wanted to talk about like just the motif of the paintings in general throughout the film. How it like is symbolic of their relationship mm-hmm. and sort of the phases it goes through, like the first painting. Clearly, she doesn't know Eloise very well, and she hasn't, like, they haven't developed that bond yet, and Eloise notices like that. Her. Yeah. Yeah, and she's, like, mad, which is so great. I'm like, she's <laughs> me? Like, I love it. And then a big moment that I didn't really notice when I first watched it, but on second watch was Eloise waking up to Marianne sketching her. Mm. And then Eloise is, like, happy about it she's like smiling and it's really cute and it's like okay like they both like each other they're both interested and they don't have to say anything but it's this indication that like I am okay with you painting or drawing me like it's a 
level it, of intimacy. Yeah, they've reached a point where Marianne fully sees Eloise. She fully sees her for who she is. And that's why Eloise is finally someone who was so defiant in the beginning about someone painting her is like mm-hmm. letting, letting this person paint her because she knows she sees her. She sees all of her, every part of her, and she can paint it perfectly. Yeah, and that's like love, you know, like uh, feeling like really well, seen by someone, you yeah. know. Oh, it's so cute because it's so true. It's like, oh, it's love. I'm a sappy love addict. It is. It's it's real love. It's not like the kind of love that films portray often, where it's just like the typical cheesy, like Mm -hmm. Hollywood romance. No, this one's really special. So special. Where the characters really had to get into it too. Yeah, and they definitely did their part on creating that kind of relationship between each other. Only the French, man. Only the French. Yeah. <laughs> I swear, they are so romantic. Oh, yes. Or any like um foreigner, because I don't know if you watch Elite on Netflix, but they are yeah. very touchy, lovey. Like even the guys on guys. I like that. I think mm-hmm. the, I think people need to be like that. Mm-hmm. yeah just as americans you know we have so many stereotypes <laughs> yeah okay wait something else i was gonna bring up i just did some like research into Celine gamma as a person she's so cool so she dated the actress who plays yes. for years yeah adele adele Hainel, what? yes that's a tea. And what's so interesting is Marianne is the character that's based off of Celine, obviously, because mm-hmm. she's the one who's writing it. She's the protagonist. And and then her ex plays the the love interest of her, technically. So that's interesting too. Yeah. It must have been interesting they, to direct her. Yeah. Right, yeah, they seem to have a very like still even though they're not like no longer romantically together a very mutual like mutual respect for each other she respects Adele as an actress Adele respects her as a director a writer and yeah I like good at what they do too (laughs) yeah oh there's some serious that final scene I mean again we're getting if we're talking about call me by your name parallels yeah the final scene of the character crying the solo shot of them yes. looking off and crying but there's some serious acting going on there and oh, it's so good yeah. no call me by your name that that shot and call me by your name is insane like and then the credits roll and it's mm-hmm. just Tim Chalamet crying oh just like, uh, there's so much emotion yeah, and you know, I wanted I wanted her to say like, oh, you know, we we did see each other a couple more times. Like, no, they only saw each other like two more times. She also says about Portrait that she said in France they don't find find the film hot. They think it lacks flesh. It's not erotic. Like, are you kidding me? This is like the most erotic film <laughs> without being sexual I've ever seen. Like, there's so much tension between these women. It, it's like it's sexy because it's. It's sexy without being outright having sex scenes. It's crazy. Yeah. yeah. Which you don't need that. And now so. film is like incorporating that in every single thing. And every single scene, there has to be like an intense sex scene where you're like almost seeing everything happen. And I'm like, am I watching porn or am I watching a film? Like, what am I doing? It's just exploited. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I guess I kind of like have mixed feelings about the... I mean, obviously, like, we know they had sex, and we know they make out, and we see that. It's not like they're yeah. not showing us that. 
but like yeah I was sort of like well there is sort of a like lack of representation especially like respectful representation of like same sex sex yes Um, and like we like I think it would be important to normalize that right Um, but like I also do see potentially where Celine Siama was coming from in terms of not wanting to like objectify her actresses not wanting to appeal to like the male gaze like um blue is the warmest color you know (laughs) off of that though I think I just think that like we should only incorporate things when they're important to the plot and to the way we want to make the audience feel and I think just I think portrait does everything it needs to do without that you know I think it is important to represent like gay sex in movies that isn't like porn and isn't like Mm -hmm. I agree with that but I think this movie in particular just didn't need it like we already have so much intimacy through gazing gaining through (laughs) through gay gazing (laughs) (laughs) that I just feel like we didn't need the um the sexual aspect yeah yeah which like I, I totally agree I don't think it needed that much more intensity when the intensity was already there between the relationship that was you know growing yeah and it's like not every film needs to be hot like quote unquote like like obviously like in a lot of French movies there's like a lot of sex and I guess that's like appeals to humans that are attracted to sex because you know (laughs) we all like that like it's nice to see but um (laughs) but nice to see even if it's fake yeah even if it's fake you can imagine but (laughs) for this one it just it felt sexy it felt so sexy without that like I was like geez these women just have this Mm -hmm. huge connection and I'm like fanning myself and they're both so gorgeous too as my bisexual self died like (laughs) (laughs) especially Adele I think she's so naturally beautiful they didn't even put any freaking makeup on them like it's insane oh wow I didn't know that well it just didn't look like it maybe if they did it was so light but you can tell the textures and their face and everything I was like keep it natural have you noticed though that there's always a blonde and a brunette yes so (laughs) and I am guilty of doing this because my first film necromantic um that I made we had a blonde and a brunette and I just think that that's just like so stereotypical that there's always a blonde and brunette in like lesbian relationships. And obviously like that shouldn't be how it is in every film, but <laughs> but there is, there totally is. All right. Thank you everyone for listening. This has been Film Spill, a movie night podcast. Thank you to Jordan for being our lovely guest this week. Thank you so much for having me. I had a blast talking with you guys. You guys are like great conversationalists and I I love everything we've talked about today. I can't wait to see more of these episodes, hear more of them and (laughs) to hear like what else you guys choose to talk about because this is dope. So thank you for having me. It was a pleasure having you here and having you tell us our astrology charts. That was pretty cool. Yeah, we got, I got to learn so much about you guys. I will tell you guys what's going on with Onyx right now. Um, We have our Based on Her True Story anthology series, which is five 
episodes with a different director, different Onyx director for each episode, um, telling a story from their real life. And that is being released most likely August 20th. Then we have Noxious, which is my my film that I directed and, and produced and worked on for almost one and a half years. And it's being released on August, August 6th. And that's coming up really soon. So check that out. And then um, I'm directing a music video that's coming out soon. It's for a song called Without You. And it's by Indigo Hills. So stay tuned for that. And then we have a feature film coming out. Our Onyx's first feature film we produced called This Is How It Starts. Yeah. And it's a horror and acid horror film. So there's a lot of trippy elements to it. And it's set in the 1950s. That's going to be fun. Stay tuned for that. And an actor that was just in the movie Zola that came out, the A24 movie, is also in it. So mm-hmm. there's some, some good cast. Stay tuned for all that and follow us on Instagram at onyx.films. And um, our website is onyx-films.com. And our email, if you want to contact us, <laughs> is onyx.films.contact at gmail.com. You heard it, guys. Great. From the one and only Jordan Piper. <laughs> you can follow us at Pod on Instagram. We'll be back next week with an episode on D. Reese's film Pariah, 2011 film. I love I love. Yes. I haven't watched it yet, so I'm excited. You'll love it. It's so good. Yeah, and then editing is done by Miss Chelsea. And the cover art is by me, Jackie. And until then, don't cry over a spilled film. Bye.